You're listening to the Straight Shooting Radio Show on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the hosts of the show, Jason Selms and Mario Vladko. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, another episode of the Straight Shooting Podcast. Again, if you want to find out more about the show, you want to listen to the show, go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. And we actually just got a new feature, which hopefully uh, the listeners will utilize, and that is on the main page of the website, you'll see on the right-hand side near the slider bar in your browser, it'll actually say leave voicemail. And what we're actually going to be doing is if you go on the website and you've got you know, a microphone on your computer or your iPad, you can actually click on there, record a MP3, which will come through to my email. And we are actually going to, me and Mars are actually going to start playing these on the show. So if you had questions, comments, any issues we think we should be talking about that you think is really important, uh, I ask everyone to certainly send those uh, voicemails in. We're going to play them on the show in, in, in their entirety. So please jump on there on, on the website. Click on that leave voicemail tab uh, and leave us uh, a voicemail. Again, you can find us twitter.com forward slash AH podcast. Again, we're on Facebook, Australian Hunting Podcast. Of course, we're on iTunes. So if you want to listen to the show and you're a big Apple and iPhone lover, then you can uh, download all the episodes on demand from iTunes, which is automatically if you subscribe to the show. If you want to email me, you can go on the website, click on the contact icon, or email me at Australian Hunting Podcast at Gmail. Com. I think that's about it. There's not much, but Muzz is with me again as per usual, and he just got back from his holiday in, uh, where'd you go, New Caledonia? Yeah, Jase, uh, my, myself and the family, we um, we went on a nice cruise and uh, went to New Caledonia, Isle of Pines, um, done, done the whole, uh, I guess, South Pacific, uh, so to speak. We went what, to... Was it a cruise? Yeah, yeah, mate. It was, a, it was an awesome cruise uh, on the Carnival Spirit. It's a fantastic ship. And kids had a great time. Um, went to uh, uh, Vanuatu, yeah. Mystery, Mystery Island. Fantastic, Jace. Really, really great time. And uh, I do apologise to all the listeners. You, you haven't heard an episode of Straight Shooting Podcast for a while. But myself and Jason have been quite busy hunting, and I've been holidaying, doing some family things. So we're back again. With Mate, tell us, tell us about the airsoft in uh, where was it? Where was it? Where was the airsoft? New Caledonia. New, New Caledonia. Yeah. New tell tell, tell yeah. the listeners about that one. Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, take advantage of, Jace, when I was on this holiday is I took note of some of the local gun laws, I guess, in New Caledonia, French New Caledonia, capital being uh, Numea. And uh, basically, wow, what a surprise. And was, I was pleasantly surprised how um, good the laws are over there. Uh, I found my way to a... Um, uh, Hobby shop? Wasn't yeah, a hobby shop? Yeah, or, yeah. Or was, it, or was it just dedicated airsoft? No, no. It was a hobby shop where you buy RC cars, <laughs> helicopters, all those sort of things, you know. Uh, fantastic. I mean, I only had one day in Yumea and I'd done a lot of family things during that one day, but I did manage to find time to find this um, hobby shop. And uh, basically, uh, amongst uh, the big wall display where they got the RC cars and everything, you've also got... Uh, beautiful replica uh, airsoft rifles yeah. and uh, mate i'll tell you what the quality of these rifles absolutely unreal i picked up some of them some of them and took some photos they had ar-15s they had m16s with grenade launchers um <laughs> high capacity military style shotguns ak-47s um mp5s you name it they, they had it there and is it legal just, over? It's legal over there, is it? I'm yeah, guessing. absolutely. I mean, it's just a toy, really. You just got to be over eighteen uh, to purchase it, and you've got to carry it uh, in a, in a bag. You have to uh, carry it out of sight, of course, and that's pretty much all the laws there are. So you can just walk straight into a hobby shop over eighteen. No worries. Uh, purchase yeah. your airsoft rifle, put it in a bag, go out to your air, local airsoft uh, meet or your club, whatever it is, and then. Uh, <laughs> You know, enjoy yourself with some mad airsoft action. Yeah, Muzz's got some uh, photos. I think you've got some photos, haven't you? We'll, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll uh, put them on the, try and if we can, put them on the Facebook page. You've got a bit of video as well, so. Yeah, but not only that, Jason, one of the one of the other great surprises about, um, I guess, going to French New Caledonia was um, going into a sports shop 
and I'm talking like a regular sports shop as you would have here in Australia, like Rebel Warehouse and so on. And right next to the tennis rackets and soccer balls and all the, uh, I guess, sports shoes and clothing, you have the Armoury. And yeah. They, yeah, they sell guns right there in the sports shop. Not only do they sell guns, they sell semi-automatic um, shotguns, uh, military-style uh, military rifles, uh, yep. semi-automatic rifles are also prohibited there, unfortunately. But, however, one of the other things is is that if you're over 18, you can buy pepper spray straight off the shelf yeah. uh, for self-defense. So, you know, New Caledonia is a very, very peaceful country. There's no, I mean, there's no serious crimes there. I mean, it's a very low crime rate. I found the people extremely friendly. And um, I know a lot of people say the French are arrogant. I mean, I found the, the complete opposite. We had some old bloke named Jacques, uh, my, uh, my friend... And I, we were just walking around and he agreed to show us around and tell us where everything is. And even he even drove us back to our cruise ship later on, Chase. Nice. So, you know, it was excellent. So for all you guys that are interested in going to New Caledonia, go have a look. Have a play with some airsoft rifles. Have a look at the local sports shops. Check out the gun laws. It's quite friendly. Um, you have the right to defend yourself with uh, pepper spray. You can buy it off the shelf as long as you're over 18. Those sort of things. It's it was fantastic to experience a little bit of freedom, even if it was just for one it was day. Very just. fleeting. Funny how we can own a three three eight Lapua, but I can't own a little uh, airsoft gun that actually just basically shoots. What are they? Plastic pellets? Are they are they metal? But they're plastic, aren't they? No, they're just plastic pellets. And uh, and the thing is, these these were guns that in every way, Jason looked like the real thing. I kid you not. They felt like the real thing. They had. Significant. I've seen the one with the grenade launcher with the canister on it. It was like me. Mate, (laughs) like the one from uh, Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, they're full one-to-one scale, and they look and feel exactly like the real thing. And you know what? In a, I guess, silly situation, if someone walked out on the street with it, yeah, you could think, wow, you know, that's a real gun. But the thing is, no one's ever going. Not not one single law-abiding gun owner. Would ever do that anyway? Who would walk out on the street <laughs> Who'd want to get with shot? their gun, real or otherwise? I mean, exactly. So, and that's why uh, guns like that—they are just toys. They're considered as toys, and uh, they're only to be sold to uh, over 18s. And we're, you know, I guess the only people who are responsible. So, you know, it's not a big deal. Certainly not a big deal in French New Caledonia. No one ever got shot because an air, air, airsoft rifle there, as far as I'm aware. So it's a great sport. It's a very thriving sport over there. It's one of the few things that the people there enjoy. I mean, it's a very low population, I do admit. It's only about less than 200,000 people on the, in the whole region. But, um, look, they enjoy their airsoft. They enjoy their pepper spray. They enjoy their semi-automatic shotguns. Uh, I wonder if they're uh, – what type of hunting's over there? They got. They reckon they've got good hunting. You can hunt there? Absolutely. Uh, heaps of pig hunting and uh, wild yeah. goats and all that. Yeah, excellent fishing. Oh, mate. Oh. Some of the fishing and the snorkeling. You get sick of seafood, eh, living <laughs> over there? I'll tell you what. The snorkeling I've done was absolutely unreal, Jace. I'm talking like beautiful coral reefs, beautiful fish and – just um, you can pay a small amount of money, especially in Vanuatu. Small amount of money, locals take you out fishing, and you just catch monsters. I'm talking like they just catch the biggest fish, very, very close to shore, only about two, two, three hundred meters uh, from shore, mm. and it's just a fantastic experience for all you fishers, you crazy guys who are crazy about fishing. Go to Vanuatu, go have a great time, get to know some of the locals. They'll take everyone's got a boat pretty much over there. They'll take you out. And you're going to have a fantastic time fishing and and, uh, and snorkeling and even scuba diving. It's great. Wonder what they do for work over there. Two hundred thousand people. They got a trade or what? You know, trade they deal. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, tourism yeah. being one of them. But well, I, I guess New Caledonia, I guess, would be a greenie's worst nightmare, <laughs> Jason. Yeah. Because they've got yeah, a very, soft. very, very, very uh, healthy and thriving economy there. Um, I, there's I mean, the average wage is quite high. I mean, the average price of a house is more or less the price of a house here in Australia. Wow. Um, heaps of uh, heaps of thriving local businesses. I was actually shocked uh, with, a, with a, uh, I guess, a, a French colony that's such a small population, um, have such a great uh, economy, and uh, and basically their main export product is uh, nickel, because uh, mm. the island is very rich in nickel. So there's a big nickel smelter. Uh, and uh, I guess a whole production section there where they where they pumping out nickel and export it, uh, which pretty much generates a lot of wealth for the country. Mm. Well, there's a story. Me and 
uh, Mars went on a hunting trip. What we probably what uh, two three. We we went over a space of about six weeks twice. Uh, to a, we wanted to do a state forest hunt because we had a lot of people that wanted to go, about four or five of us, I think. Anyway, so I said to Muzz, we, he goes, we're going to go in his car for this trip. So I said, uh, yeah. here we go. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I said, uh, yeah, no worries. And I said, well, mate, I've got a lot of gear. You know, I've got me double swag. I've got the tarp we put up. You know, we've got, say, a uh, little uh, desk and all that to put, you know, when you're cooking, a table, I should say, you know. So we've got a fair bit of gear, you know, got the esky, et cetera. So he said he was bringing his esky. Anyway, he comes over my house and he looks in my garage and we're ready to go. And he goes, oh, you, you do have a lot of gear. So I look at the in the back of his Hilux. He's got a steel tray with a canvas canopy over the top. And I'm looking in the back. I think, geez, he travels light. I'd probably have half to three quarters of this thing filled up <laughs> just, just with my gear, right? And I'm thinking, he's got a, you know, there's not much in there anyway. So we fill it. And by the time we get out there, like we're leaving, it's pretty much full with all my gear, his gear, whatever we got. Anyway, so we're driving down to this. Uh, now, now, at this stage, Jason, I probably yeah. should continue the story. No, no, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Let me do this right. So hang on. He's hacked on me for the first time. He goes, you should bring a lot of gear. Kept going on with it. Anyway, so we're driving down. We've passed, you know, so I live in New South Wales. We're past Campbelltown. We're down sort of, I think, maybe probably, uh, what, Maroolan sort of area. Yeah, and he goes, yeah. oh, you're not going to believe it. And I said, oh, what's up? And he goes, oh, no. And I was like, well, what's happened? And he goes, oh, I've left me binoculars at home. Yeah. And I'm thinking, mate, this is why you have a list, right? Unbelievable. Anyway, so he's there going, oh, well, how am I going to look? And how am I going to see deer? And I said, oh, it's, yeah, it's important, fairly important part, piece of equipment. But, you know, you'll be all right. If you see one out, you know, try and use your scope possibly, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, the best one happens later on. Oh, we, no. we go another probably, what, 45 minutes. We have something to eat. Well, we at this on. stage, we're about two and a half hours out of Sydney. Okay. And then he goes, oh, no. And no. He, he goes, I'm really <laughs> angry now. And I said, what's happened? What's happened now? And he said, oh. All right, just wait, Jace. Hold, hold that thought right there. Mind you, bear in mind that I spent about 20 minutes giving Jason a whole heap of stick because of all the gear yeah. that he had. Yeah. All this gear, I mean, he had a swag that looked like a, a, double to- swag. a double swag that looked like it could be used to launch torpedoes out of a sub. <laughs> That's how big it was. And I kept going on about how how lightly I was packed and how minimalist I was and how I didn't carry all that rubbish. But anyway, go on, Jace. Yeah, anyway, so he's freaking out right now. And he's like, oh, no, no. And I was like, what's, up? what's happened now? Would you... And he goes, you're not going to believe it. And where we were going was going to be like zero, minus two, minus four, two degrees, all different temperatures throughout the four days we're going to be there because it's down south and it was still fairly cold. And he said he left his swag at home. And I'm going, oh, no, he's left his <laughs> swag at home. Yeah, and, forgot swag. And what makes it even worse is he had his sleeping bag inside the swag. So now he's going to freeze his absolute... You know, uh, you know, he's, um, but, you know, I don't know. He's going to freeze something off anyway. And so he rings his wife. His wife says, yeah, it's in the garage. So he had to literally spend the whole trip in, in this other guy's little Subaru car with the back uh, seat folded down. And then he had to go into the local community the next day about half an hour away and purchase. What would you purchase? A uh, sleeping well, bag and a little mat? Well, thankfully, my, my friend Mark, who uh, brought his uh, Subaru Liberty, he had a spare sleeping bag. and Lucky. And uh, I was able to sleep in that for one night. But, oh, jeez, it was freezing. <laughs> but, look, I've slept in worse conditions, so it didn't really bother so hang me on. that much. But the, anyway, the moral and the point of this story before we start getting into the news it would behoove you from now on never to give me any grief about how much gear and not only that when we were on the trip as well everyone's like oh someone got a spatula i'm like yeah, yeah. i got a spatula because i've got a little a little tub someone with got all the, the baby wipes yeah. yeah i've got a cookout i've got a big cooking container where i put you know everything in there you know bags and ziploc bags garbage bags all my utensils and everything so it's ready to go every trip just chuck it in the car and everyone's like oh is there someone got this i'm like yeah i've got that too no problem and then everyone kept borrowing stuff off me but the point is make sure you take your stuff all the time so yeah no but it was definitely a good trip we saw a lot of uh, deer we saw a lot of hoof prints um, which I did put up on some of the Facebook page as well. So, and M- Muzz marked actually quite a, quite a lot of spots. We had some game cam stuff. I saw some wild dogs on the game cam. Uh, yeah, so quite a lot of stuff. What do you think of the trip? Well, I, it was a it was a great trip. I mean, we didn't shoot much, but we did, did see a lot of game. Um, it was quite difficult because um, I guess um, uh, part of the problem with forests like, for example, Marigold North, for those who have been there, 
is that you've got a, a large population of brumbies there and they pretty much destroy any trail that the animal other animals leave so it's pretty difficult to stalk game but but yeah no a fantastic trip now one of the things i wanted to touch on jason very important fact um myself yourself and uh other friends that came along we contributed a great deal of money to the local tumbarumba economy especially myself yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right 400 well, bucks or something. well <laughs> Well, um, not not only did I forget my swag, as you mentioned before, Jace, but I'm one of those people that packs his sleeping bag, his pillow, and pretty much everything rolled up into the swag all at once. That's one unit. And um, I don't know what sort of brain flux I had that made me forget such a large piece of equipment. But anyway, it happens to the best of us. But uh, I I forgot it. And uh, the result was the local Tumbarumba service, the Caltech service station that's uh, joined with a camping shop. I'm sure many of you guys have been there before, uh, was the happy recipient of $400 of my money. And I'm quite fine with that because I contributed to local economy. We went down to the Bottolo. We um, we uh, got some beers and uh, bought some, um, I guess, uh, some coffee uh, at the local cafe and all up roughly, I mean, between us, what, Chase, you reckon we contributed about six, $700 to the local economy? A few on the way back. Yeah. So, absolutely. It just goes to show how, how what an important part hunters play uh, in country towns, in providing them with uh, with money, so you know, so so they can uh, continue to thrive and survive, and that's a very important uh, thing that people shouldn't forget. Exactly. All right, we're just going to get into some news. So, what do we got first, Muzz? Uh Yeah, Jace, I've got a couple of embarrassing articles here for for the government. The hypocrisy of the government shining through again, and uh, this is uh, basically from the Newcastle Herald. Police apologise after leaving plastic explosives at Sydney Airport. Jeez, that makes you feel What's safe. What's the date on it? Who's, who's the... Uh, uh, has it got a, a person that wrote the article? Well, actually, uh, oddly enough, Jason, this is from September 11th. <laughs> is it? I mean, yeah, it is. Uh, from September 11th, 2014, um, uh, from Newcastle Herald. And uh, you know it's frightening that it should be on September 11. Uh, it's quite it's a bit of an old article, but we haven't had a straight shooting podcast for a while, so I, I reckon I should mention it. So anyway, police apologise after leaving plastic explosives at Sydney Airport. Australian mm. Federal Police have apologised apologised after leaving 230 grams of plastic explosive in an unclaimed suitcase at Sydney Airport. Wonderful. The Newcastle Herald reports the explosive was discovered after the unclaimed bag was given to a woman as a replacement for her damaged bag. The explosives were left behind after a training exercise on August 14, but discovered on Tuesday after the woman took the unclaimed bag um, and after finding the device, the woman immediately took it to Cessnock Police. So, I mean... Don't worry about the war on terror. Worry about our, I guess, AFP leaving plastic explosives all over the place. Question is, though, I wonder whoever left it there, have they been reprimanded? Probably not again. If we leave one little round of twenty-two ammunition or a shotgun round in the garage because it accidentally happened to fall on the ground, yeah, you, you yeah. could possibly, depending on the discretionary powers of the uh, police officer, you know, yeah. potentially lose your license again over something stupid. Yet, hey, leave. Yeah. <laughs> a, a ton of plastic explosives in some ways, but how did it get there? Was it was it a uh, what were they doing like an exercise or something? Or I wonder what happened. Well, um, I'm not sure, but it says here the AFP takes this error seriously. I'm sure they do. And uh, the canine instructor who inadvertently left this device behind has been identified and will be the subject of formal professional standard investigation. Oh, whatever that means. Yeah. But uh, look, it just, I mean, similar to that situation, Jason, if you remember ages ago when that police officer left his gun at a McDonald's. And then some dude sold it. And guess what, <laughs> guess what they did? They went, they charged the guy for selling the firearm because he left it in a bag. But once again, Jason, moral story is it proves that there are, Federal police and the AFP are no more or less responsible than just the average citizen. That's right. All right, I'm going to go into one now here. But before we do, we're just going to go to a quick break to our excellent sponsors and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. The Sporting Shooters Association of Australia proudly presents Australia's largest event for the sport shooting industry right here in Perth. 
the Shot Expo, December 6 and 7. For the true enthusiast, the Shot Expo showcases the professionalism and commitment to safety of sports shooting in Australia. Safety and training demos, ethical hunting and conservation, outdoor camping and archery, it's all on show. The Shot Expo, Claremont Showground, December 6 and 7. Pay on the day or go to shotexpo.com.au for sponsors, exhibitors and online bookings. This is an ad for the Liberal Democrats. But the Liberal Democrats don't want me to talk about them. They want me to talk about you. People should control governments. Governments shouldn't control people. In fact, the Liberal Democrats think the less you hear from the government, the better. Unless you're hurting someone, governments should get out of the way and let you live the life you want. The Liberal Democrats. More freedom, less government. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit SSAAsydney.net. All right, so what I've got here, this one is actually a really good one. Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Emma Partridge, October 13th, 2014. And this one is Black Market Guns Triple in Price. So it says illegal firearms have more than tripled in price over the past two years, forcing criminals to share guns, police say. Semi-automatic handguns were the weapon of choice for the underworld figures, and prices have risen from two to 4000 to more than 15000 a Senate inquiry into illegal guns heard on Monday. Uh, New South Wales Police Firearms Organised Crime Squad Acting Detective Superintendent Jason Herbert said intelligence suggested more criminals were willing to loan out tightly held firearms. Now, the interesting part about this is it says um, we are actually seeing an increase in criminals wanting to share firearms throughout these groups. So as to opposed to buying one, you can loan it out. If you use it, then the criminal obviously pays for it. If you don't use it, then you have to return it. <laughs> but the inter- All right, lay by guns. <laughs> the interesting part about this, again, and Muzz was talking about this on a previous straight shooting podcast, again, that all these prohibitions cause an absolute huge illegal black market in this country, not for people bringing them into the country. Well, that's also part of it too, but also to manufacture uh, from scratch these yep. particular firearms. We've seen it down in South Australia. They were making those uh, either semi-automatic, fully automatic weapons. And they looked fantastic. I mean, yep. the guy really obviously really took pride in his work, but it says clean guns, which had not been used in the commission of a crime, could catch, sorry, could fetch in excess of $15,000, uh, and the dirty ones a lot less. So obviously the ones that had been fired, uh, and maybe, maybe someone shot someone with it or something, yep. um, they'd be obviously worth a lot less. It says, um, now the Chief Superintendent Fitch said, obviously illegal importations are still happening. It's just simply, at the moment, they aren't being detected. Whether people are coming more sophisticated in their, me- in their methods, we don't know. So again, same thing. Again, the Greens will have us tell you, you know, they're all being stolen from licensed law-abiding gun owners. Uh, and during the inquiry, we also sent a great inquiry. If you've been on the, the Senate inquiry into uh, banning semi-automatic handguns by the Greens, um, that, uh, again, they think they're being, you know, stolen from, you know, law-abiding firearms owners, which, again, we know they're not. Uh, it's, just, it's just, again, more crap from the Greens, more rhetoric. Um, but the, the part at the end of this article that, seemed very interesting to me is the continue 3D printed guns. Uh, again, they're on this bandwagon of this 3D oh. printed guns. And again, these plastics, see, again, we're behind the times. If you actually have a look at the guy that invented that first single shot uh, little 3D printed gun, now they're actually making yeah. uh, the AR-15, I think the lower receiver, if I'm correct. Yep. Uh, and you can buy the... Out of metal. Yeah, out of metal. Which is, and you can buy the box. They're actually, uh, they did 100 of them. I think they're upping that to 250. They're already sold out uh, in the United States. And basically, plug it in. I guess you put the plans in it, it cuts, yeah. it cuts the uh, receiver out, and then basically you can buy from parts within America legal parts that don't require, you know, such yeah. as the barrel, et cetera. Absolutely. You know? I mean, with that, just on 
just to touch on that 3D printed uh, guns, Jason, I mean, realistically, you could in- be envisioning, I guess, in 10 years' time, a, uh, a future where gun laws in the United States will be just absolutely obsolete. Yeah. Uh, because the technology is moving so quickly, um, you might be able to print almost an entire uh, rifle from mm. at home. Yeah. Uh, really, from internet uh, in plans that you download download from the internet. Yeah. And on people, you know, the law enforcement are panicking about this, and they think, oh, this is horrible. This, I mean, come on. I mean, it, it makes absolutely no difference. You can already buy an AR-15 legally in America in almost every state for like six hundred bucks. Yeah. I mean. Um, no one is going to go out of their way to, um, I guess, uh, purchase a $2,000 printer and their materials and all that just so they can create their own AR-15, which they can already get legally for 600 bucks. That's right. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there might be criminal gangs that will be doing it, but th- they'll be able to get their hands on illegal weapons anyway. But again, what about people that want to use 3D printers for legitimate purposes? Exactly. It's already illegal to manufacture a, a firearm without a license or being a dealer or have the requisite Precisely, you know, checks Jason. and license done Precisely. already. So yep, it doesn't really make sense. Exactly. But, and also, too, we wanted to say we had, uh, I'm not sure if it's this podcast or a lot of people, but it was fantastic that um, a lot of people actually wrote in when me and were first talking about mm. the Senate inquiry. I mean, I think there was about four or five submissions, not even that two. Was Emmy was there two well, or three? Well, the first time we looked at it, I think I saw about 15. And then uh, I think about a week later, there was like 22 or something like that. Yeah. And then we started talking about yeah. it. And then it got up to, say, three or 400 or something, I think. And uh, I mean, absolutely fantastic. And the good one that I saw the other week, and I'm not sure if it was just in the last week since Muzz has been away, but there was one from the Victorian police saying, well, you know, if we really take, you know, semi automatic handguns out of the, you know, like it's not really going to affect affect you know, the black market mm. and these illegal use of firearms, which yeah. I think is fantastic. Finally, the police you know, are starting to realise, instead of being you know, a bit totalitarian, you know, starting to back up the citizens you know, and start well, to... Well, it's a vicious circle, say, Jason. They know it. I mean, uh, I guess in, in respect to what you were talking about before, the black market, the doubling the price of guns. I mean, the more you restrict guns, the bigger the black market is. And then the more you restrict it again, uh, the harder it is for, uh, for, I guess, criminals to get it in some cases. The harder it is for them to get it. The more value there is in guns, the more value there is, the harder they try to get it. Then when they do try and get them and they get a lot of them, then you go back to the circle again. They, you know, authorities try and restrict guns again, and usually they can only restrict guns from the law abiding. So what, it's, what it's a vicious, never-ending circle. And I mean, the police know. See, what do you do? You either have people say we don't want a lot of guns, but then okay, where's the balance there? You know what I mean? Because again, like you said, when these AR-15s, I mean, even just the legal AR-15s cost. You know, I've been on the used guns website or whatever the sites are. Yeah. You know, you can yeah eight grand for a Colt, ten grand up to fifteen grand. I mean, the Warwick Firearms are making them. I'm not sure of their prices, but have a look. But they're a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah. If, that, if that is the legal price, I wonder how much, honestly, the illegal price for people to get their hands on these guns. And they're also finding guns that were never allowed to be sold in this country anyway. Well, so, that's right. I mean, they, they estimate how many, Jason, 250,000, 260,000 illegal guns. In, yeah. in, I mean, they've got no idea. Yeah. It can be as much as a million. Who knows how many uh, of them have been legally imported, especially when an AR-15 or an AK-47 can fetch as much as 25 grand on the streets. Yeah. To finish off the article, it says, The Greens initiated the inquiry uh, to look at whether semi-automatics should be banned and whether there should be tighter restrictions on the mm. storage of... Again, this is what I'm talking about, attacking legal licensed fire, firearms owners, which haven't done anything wrong, just to make it sound good because they're the only ones they can control because they can't control these illegal guns. It said there was also very little known about th- the, the numbers of 3D printed guns. Well, I guess because they're plastic, you probably wouldn't know anyway. And it says yep. 3D guns can be made with an ordinary printer and have the ability to kill and cannot be detected by x-rays and scanners. So, I mean, that's that article. That was the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, what have you got over there, Muzz? Any good articles? To- yeah, just uh, something from the SSAA National E newsletter in just in conjunction with that story, Jace. And for those of you who have not registered your email address with the double S double A for those of you who are members, please register please register your email address and you get this great e newsletter that you get sent every month. And uh, just regarding that Senate inquiry, Jason, the Greens led Senate inquiry final report has been delayed. This is the news. The reporting date for the Senate inquiry into firearms in the community has been delayed following a formal request from the Senate committee for an extension. The committee was due to issue its final report on recommendations on October 2, but will now report on December 2. Okay, so the SSAA 
attended and contributed to both Sydney and Melbourne public hearings this week and will be called to the Canberra hearing on October 31. And I've got to say, Jason, the SSAA have done a fairly, I guess, reasonable job uh, regarding the Senate inquiry. They've stepped up. I think uh, I replied feedback to them as well. I think they've initial, um, uh, I guess, submission for the Senate inquiry. I don't think the language was strong enough in their submission, and I did reply to them about that. But I think they've stepped up here, and, and, they're, and they're doing something that they really, that's what their job is to do, to represent the members, to stand up for their members, and good on them. And the other thing is too, Jason, I've read a lot of the submissions. I've downloaded a lot of the submissions out of the 400-odd so that were there on the website. And, yeah. mate, the vast majority of them were pro-gun. And not only that, Jace, people really took the opportunity, they took my advice, they took the opportunity to also um, give uh, the government a bollocking over the current laws, to, to rebuke some of the current laws, mm. uh, not to increase more laws. And uh, the vast majority of their submissions, I would say easily 80, 80 to 85%, were pro-gun. I wonder why the Senate actually, or the Senate of the Greens, I wonder why it was extended, because I think it's been extended, the report's been extended by an extra month, I think, isn't it? So I wonder what that's for, maybe to get more people on their side, try and get a few more things in to try and balance up the debate a bit, because people did a good job. I mean, if you saw, I think it was Channel 10 News uh, about a week ago, so what are we now? I think we're on the 18th. Uh, roughly 19th of October now, but about last week we saw Shooters Union New South Wales, mm. Peter Whelan, those guys yep. at the Senate Inquiry. I think there was ADA, yep. the Dealers Association, I think, and they're and, doing a And also, great Jason, the Australian Airsoft Council. Good on them. Yeah. Uh, they, they put in a submission as well, and I'll just love and say cheerio to all you guys who are airsoft lovers. Uh, well done, and well done to the Australian Airsoft Council. Hopefully one day uh, the wonderful sport of airsoft will be legalised here in Australia. Yeah, Absolutely. So, Jason, what we've got here is an article from the Courier Mail with more hypocrisy from the government. And this is by Neil Dooley, I think. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, Back from August 25th in 2014. And uh, I don't think we mentioned this, but foreign guards get rights to arms for Brisbane G20 Summit. And as you know, we've got the G20 Summit coming up in Brisbane uh, later this year. And it says uh, hundreds of overseas bodyguards could apply and be granted special permission to carry firearms in Brisbane during November's G20 summit. And there will be nothing legally stopping the crack security agents using their weapons to protect dignitaries at risk or harm if if tensions and violence erupt. So more and more hypocrisy from the government, Jason. They've got plenty of weapons and no restrictions for them. They can do whatever they want, carry concealed, assault weapons, you name it, everything. And, uh, you know, it's uh, (laughs) more about, you know, rights for them and absolutely nothing for you. Yes, absolutely right. Not surprising. I know you got an article there about the Huffington Post, I think. Was it about uh, assault weapons? Uh, but before, actually, while you're grabbing that, I'll go on to the next one. It says, this is a good one. This one's The the Guardian, right? Uh, who is it? Bridie Jabua? Jabua? Mm. Bridie Jabua? I don't know if I got that right. Monday, 13th of October, 2014. Great one. It says about the, the heading of the article, Australia has 260,000 illegal firearms in circulation. Inquiry has been told. Now, there's a Senate inquiry, which we just spoke about, into illicit guns. Also, here's that 3D uh, Printed guns are exploding when police mm. are testing them. Well, we already knew that because the guy yeah. they were exploding when you know the guy was using them. You know, but when they're actually printing them out, we already knew that anyway. Yeah. But it says that two hundred sixty thousand guns are on the Australian grey or black markets. An inquiry into illicit firearms has heard. They belong to people who did not register them after the stricter gun laws came in in 96 or people had bought them illegally. The inquiry also heard that 3D printed guns had exploded uh, as police conducted tests on it. Well, it's plastic when you got, you know, high pressure. What do they expect? Yeah. Detective Superintendent Peter DeSanto, commander of the state's anti-gangs division, said that like New South Wales Police, Victorian Police have tested one of the guns and found the technology uh, was not up to par. Uh, what a, sorry, I'll go to the next page. Sorry about that. He goes, it says, I believe it exploded during the experiment. And of course, as 3D printers become more sophisticated, the risk is there. They'll be able to make a more sophisticated product. Again, we've already seen they're making ones out of steel and yep, metal now. Already so. happening. Yep. 
So it says it, so DeSanto says it's being monitored. Uh, he told the Senate uh, Standing Committees on Legal and Constitutional Affairs at a public hearing in Sydney on Monday. Then DeSanto also said it was a composition problem as the paper barrel could not withstand the force of the bullet passing through it. Well, I don't know what he means by paper. paper. I presume they were actually uh, made out of plastic because it's 3D printed of plastic. But anyway, maybe I'm wrong or mm. he just got it wrong or he's just a numpty. I'm not yeah, sure. DeSanto up. said a printed 3D gun would, of course, be exploited and police advice to the government would be to cut out legitimate use of 3D print for a, major- a minority of people. So what we presume by that is if you know, you've had a criminal record or something, they're going to say you can't go to JB Hi-Fi and pick up a 3D <laughs> printer. I don't know how they're going to control that, but <laughs> yeah, I don't here know. we it's go. It's just completely stupid. But the good one here at the end of it was that uh, the president of the Shooters Union, Peter Whelan, argued that having people register their weapons created a false sense of security for police. And once someone had their license, they should be able to buy as many weapons as they want. The argument put together in 1996 to register firearms so we know where guns are is quite ridiculous. Uh, sorry, ludicrous. Because if police are going to raid a bikey hideout and and look it up and say, oh, no registered firearms uh, there, or people registered as gun owners, well, they're not going to go into the hideout thinking there's obviously no guns there, he said. Whelan said he had reassured a farmer on the fringes of Sydney that he would no longer be treated like a criminal when the firearms laws are repealed because the farmer had still not registered his guns. And then Whelan also said again, we should concentrate on reasons for crime, mental health, illegal drugs, drugs are illegal. Has that solved the drug problem? That's right. We should be analysing the causes of crime, be, be it economic, be it cultural. He goes, I won't point to particular races, but a lot of the crime in general relates to other issues uh, that how the criminal obtained the gun, he said. So, again, that was uh, the Guardian. So, good one there. Uh, and some good representation at the uh, Senate inquiry. What's your, what do you got there, Muzz? Yeah, very good representation. Good on Peter Whelan for, for doing so. Great, great story, Jason. And uh, this story goes back to, a little bit back to September 12th, and this is by Lois Beckett from the New York Times, Jason. Yeah, I've heard this is a great one, yeah. One of the biggest papers in the world, the New York Times. And basically, great story uh, dispelling the assault weapon myth and Lois Beckett goes on to say just a couple it's a, it's a very extensive uh, story and I recommend you guys get onto New York, New York Times website and have a good read about it but uh, in a nutshell she's saying that uh, the continuing focus on assault weapons stems from the media's obsessive focus on mass shootings which disproportionately involve weapons like AR-15 in a, a civilian version of the military M16 rifle this in turn obscures some grim truths about who is really dying from the gunshots. And then she continues on to say, but, um, but these acts of violence in schools and movie theaters have come to define the problem of gun violence in America, despite the fact they're a tiny percentage of the overall gun problem. Most Americans do not know that gun homicides, in fact, have decreased by 49% since um, 1993, and also violent, violent crime has sharply fell. So, Jason, gun crime in general... It continues to fall in America, and uh, but you know the politicians are desperately trying to still ban those assault rifles that count for less than two percent of the overall crimes. So a great, great story, yeah, great, excellent story, really uh, a fantastic read. So get on to the New York Times and uh, have a look at it. The assault weapon myth. Yeah, I know, and it's funny how they've kept for this whole time, years, saying. You know, there's these assault weapons and this whole buzzword, coined word, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they've realised it's basically basically just a myth, and uh, you know, it doesn't really exist. But um, yeah, no, some really good stuff there. I think it's really important. Mars has got another one there. What's that one you got there? Yeah, this is from the Benilla Ensign. It's a story from Victoria, and uh, government hails box. Uh, sorry, not box. <laughs> fox bounty, a success. Oh yeah. 1495 fox scalps collected in Benilla in one week. Uh, fantastic. So more than 320,000 foxes and 1,500 wild dogs have been eradicated under the bounty scheme in the past three years. And this is a story from September 19th by, from the Benilla Ensign. And here we go. We've got a picture of um, the Agriculture Minister, Peter Walsh, in Victoria. And it's he's posing with a couple of hunters with their fox bounties and fantastic stuff there, Jason. It just shows you the fox bounty is working and it's uh, and it's you know help people. Three, how many three hundred and three hundred and twenty thousand foxes and fifteen hundred yeah. wild dogs in the last three years. Fantastic yeah. results. So this is what upsets me with the Greens when they often say, "Oh, the RSPCA, the Invasive Species Council." 
where they say, you know, they, some of them said hunting can, you know, sometimes is not effective. It's not effective in removing feral animals, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Hunters have removed 300, was it 300? 320,000 uh, foxes and 1,500 wild dogs. Now, mind you, Jason, can I just mention here, the bounty is $10 per fox scalp, and a lot of you guys from Victoria already know this, but... Listen, this one, and $100 per wild dog pelt. Can you imagine that? Imagine encountering four or five wild dogs on a hunt oh. and just smashing all of them and collecting their pelts. Jeez, mate, that, that's a good bounty, that is. Yeah, but the point, my point going back is that the Greens always say that hunting, you know, cannot be, is not effective in removing feral animals. Well, quite clearly, we've actually seen that it is effective because the Greens haven't removed any uh, feral animals. RSPCA haven't removed any feral animals. Facey species haven't removed any feral animals, and uh, I'd like to put up, uh, especially in Victoria, if they've got a national parks down there, uh, national parks and wildlife says so put their statistics up against mm. you know the guys that are actually getting paid to do a job down there, and I'm sure will come up uh, trumps every time. So great stuff, great stuff out of Victoria. And stick with us, guys. We're just going to have a quick break on the Straight Shooting podcast, and we'll be right back. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and Hoppies gun cleaning products. Red Fox are also major online retailers for the popular Aussie Maxbox brand and the rest of the innovative products distributed by Eagle Eye Hunting Gear. All at Red Fox Outdoor Supplies. So go to the website redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or phone Greg on 0412-495-712. Hey, Mars, did you know there's a place in New South Wales that gun owners, hunters and sporting shooters are very familiar with? Of course, Jason, that place is Horsley Park Gun Shop. That's because they've been around for 30 years and have built a reputation for being the best in the business. They have an extensive range of firearms, ammunition, gun safes, optics and accessories for all your hunting and shooting requirements. And did you know, Jason, they always have bulk ammo specials? Absolutely. The friendly staff at Horsley Park Gun Shop are always there to help you and give you the best advice. Horsley Park Gun Shop are open Monday to Saturday and you can find them on the internet at hpgs.com.au. Come and talk to the team at Horsley Park Gun Shop at 1848 Horsley Road, Horsley Park. Or call them on 9620-1313. G'day, I'm Peter Johnson from the Shooters and Fishers Party and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. In 2015, New South Wales hunters will have an important decision to make. You can trust one of the major parties to fight for the rights of hunters or you can trust the party that has been fighting for shooters and fishers for 20 years. The Shooters and Fishers Party are the only party fighting for our rights. So, in March 2015, please support the party that is supporting hunters, the Shooters and Fishers Party. Find out more at www.sfp2015.org.au. All right, we've got another article here. This one's a pretty good one. Now, Mars, I think we we sort of both agree. We a little bit disagree with each other, I think. So this is kind of good. ABC Rural, Michael Kavanagh, uh, Thursday, 9th of October, 2014. Now, if people don't know, the Sydney Fox Rescue, you've heard all this about uh, this small, uh, I don't know if they're non-for-profit, I don't even know what they are, to be honest. They're basically uh, getting injured foxes from somewhere, yeah. uh, from different parts of the state, and they're bringing them back, and they're actually organising uh, people to uh, take over these uh, fox kits. They've got certain provisions. Anyway, uh, I think it was about a week ago, sometime in mid-October, uh, the Katrina Hodges. First, let me read the article first. It may be a pest to some, but to others, saving foxes and rehoming them is a worthwhile task. Sydney Fox Rescue, which has charity status, is worried that the New South Wales government declaration of the introduced species as a pest will cause problems. The state's agricultural minister, Katrina Hodgkinson, has labelled the animal to invasive and on par with feral pigs and rabbits and wild dogs. If people are not uh, complying with the potential for the new pest control order, they could be fined up to $8,500. Sydney Fox Rescue has been operating for three years, mainly dealing with newborn kits, baby foxes, to, to about 12 weeks old. While supporting the pest control order, its president, Charlie Jackson Martin, believes it could be counterproductive. We would like to see a provision for further permission so that we could rehome these animals, he said. 
Our greatest fear is that there isn't a permit system. People would continue to find foxes and some people will not see killing them as an option and therefore release them or keep them illegally and we can't regulate that. Uh, Mr. Jackson Martin claims 75% of the foxes brought to the organisation are from people living in rural areas, many of them farmers. Yeah, I don't know about that, but anyway. Mm. Many of the people who bring them to us do not see killing foxes as an option. It is not uncommon for people out hunting to also come across kits. The animals that are bought are in are desexed, checked for disease, and treated as pets. Those who don't want to keep them have to spend time working with the centre, sorry, who do want to keep them, spend time with the centre as a volunteer, and they must have a suitable enclosure on the property. Mr. Jackson Martin says, so far there have been no escapes back to the wild. Well, it's actually not true because they did post on their page that one had actually gotten away probably about six months ago. Uh, it says, Mr. Jackson says, so far there's been no escapes back to the wild for those that have been given a new home. It is rare that a fox older than 12 weeks is brought in, but he says there have been fewer options for rehoming for, uh, for older animals. Uh, they may go to a wildlife park or a zoo. Worst case scenario, we do put those animals to sleep. Uh, we have to be pragmatic about mm-hmm. that. Now, Muzz, a lot of people, and I've actually had a lot of conversations where on Facebook, yep. a lot of people saying, oh, I've got to shut down Sydney Fox Rescue. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Yeah. You know, I'm, again, we have wild dogs that cause problems. We have uh, wild, uh, cats, feral cats, which are a huge problem, uh, obviously, you know, in the community, not only in you know, outskirts mm. of city areas, yep. but we've also got problems with them in rural areas. Uh, and someone actually just sent me a photo. I'm going to post it on Facebook today, the 19th of October. So check it out. Someone actually sent me the stomach contents that they'd cut open from a feral cat. And there was little skinks and lizards and yeah. all that. I mean, they just lied it out. They put it on a table. Yeah. And it's an absolutely amazing photo. So I know Mars actually, when I said uh, I wouldn't be too unhappy to see the Sydney Fox Rescue shut down, he's got a bit of a difference of opinion, especially since, you know, give him a bit of an idea yeah. of what you sort of had in mind. Well, look, I'm in two minds about this, Jason. First of all, I wouldn't want to keep a fox as a pet. I mean, why would you want to keep it? I mean, you know, Oh, God, because it's God. cute and fuzzy, according <laughs> well, to the, I, see, I think, see, this is not about... This is where the, the main thing I find is mm. this isn't about uh, rehoming injured foxes. It's a gimmick, you know what I mean? Mm. A gimmick to uh, a little fluffy fox. It's yeah, cute. You know, yeah, they it, want to it, walk around... It's a around, good accessory. Yeah, exactly. They want to yeah. walk around the shops yeah. with a little fox on the leash. Yes. And everyone goes, oh! Look at yeah, oh yeah, no, no. I keep foxes. So it's nothing to do. Yeah, it's with, a new trendy thing. Yeah, it's nothing yeah. to do with uh, saving feral animals, saving no. foxes. Nothing like that. Purely for yeah. an accessory on their arm. Oh, good, I got a fox. And then when the novelty wears off, what are they going to do? Because some people won't let people move into a house with the fox. They with their renting. They're probably going to be issues. Mm. They've got to keep it in an enclosure. And when they get sick of it, what are they going to do? When it gets old and sick, what are they? You know, what are they going to do? I'm in two minds about this, Jason. I'll, I'll tell you why. On one hand, okay, foxes are you know a, a feral pest, and we've got heaps of them. We need to eradicate them. We can, well, we can never eradicate them, but um, keep their numbers down. And on the other hand, I just think to myself, well, I mean, you're never going to stop people from um, owning dogs and cats. And I mean, to be honest, unless there's a, someone can demonstrate to me a scientific reason, and I, I'm not really up to speed with the science of it, but... If you can keep a, a a cat and a dog, and all cats and dogs are introduced species just as much as foxes are, um, I, I can't see why you can't keep a, a fox. Uh, yeah. To be honest, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, like I was saying to you before, Jace. I mean, to be allowed to shoot foxes and to be allowed to keep foxes as pets doesn't decrease your freedoms; it increases your freedoms. So I know a lot of hunters out there will probably want to castrate me for these comments, and that's fine. Everyone's got their own opinion, and I know a lot of you guys are dead set against this mob. But as long as foxes are classified as a feral pest, which they which they are, yeah. as long as we're allowed to shoot them, I really, to be honest, I cannot see a good reason why would you want to stop people from owning them as pets. I mean, it just in, it increases our freedoms. It doesn't decrease our freedoms. And yes, people might say, okay, yes, they run away or whatever, they get into the communities. Well... Don't worry about that. Foxes are already in rural, in I mean, yeah. in metro areas. Hey, Jason, you yeah. see one across the road to your place. I see one driving <laughs> home right almost now, every. I'm yeah. looking at some mulberry right across the road from my house. Now, yeah. I reckon if I went over there with a whistle, yeah, I'd probably have a good chance of getting a fox. I can look at some mounds there. There's some some blackberry. Yeah, very good. But well, Jason, thing. I live across the park, and there's hares in that park. I've seen them. There's yeah. foxes in that park. I've seen them. I mean, feral animals are everywhere, and they're in metro areas. So increasingly, is, in metro areas, I just don't, I don't see the big hoo ha about why should you be, I guess, uh, 
heavily against someone keeping a fox as a pet. Why are, why are hunters, though, getting so uppity about these people keeping foxes? Is it, mate, what we, I mean, obviously, like any animal, I mean, wild dogs cause a lot of damage. Yeah. Obviously, feral cats cause a lot of damage. Foxes cause a lot of damage. I mean, can you really put them on, you know, is any one of them worse than other? A, a wild dog's on the lower scale, a fox is right up there, a cat's well, right up there. Why know. are the hunters getting so uppity about... Uh, you know, this Sydney Fox Rescue and, and foxes, why are they getting I, so... I, I have no idea, Jason, and my personal opinion is I'm on the fence on this one. I really don't care either way. If people keep want to keep foxes as pets, go right ahead, good on to you, as long as it doesn't harm yourself or anyone else. Who cares? I mean, arguably, you could argue that dogs as pets do more damage to people, especially to little kids, than foxes do. So, I mean... You know, you, you could do have, have a lot of arguments that way. You could have another argument saying that okay, well, pig pig doggers lose a lot of dogs in the in the forest hmm. or in, on private pro- property, and that's the main. That's one of the reason reasons why we've got so so many um, uh, wild dogs out there. You could have that sort of argument. Not that I would you know advocate for uh, being anti uh, pig dogging. You know, I love pig dogging, hmm. but um. But there's a whole bunch of arguments out there, Jason, and I mean, really, I, I don't see why shooters are, are beating up on people uh, who want to keep foxes as pets. I don't care either way. Um, I'm, I'm very, I guess, uh, yeah, pro-freedom pro oh, in t- some terms of Some people might say, and this is probably, the, they'll say, oh, yeah, you, you, you've seen the damage they do, but I mean, feral cats do the exact same damage, if not, maybe worse, I don't know, or as, if, on par with a fox, you know what I mean, as well, so. Well, look, especially, dogs, well, look, any pig dogger that's lost a dog in the bush, Right, I mean, you know, you've just contributed to wild dogs, I guess. You know, what I mean, you yeah. could argue, okay, you contributed to the the amount of wild dogs out there in the bush. You could argue that. Uh, so foxes as uh, pets, look, I have no problem with it. I wouldn't keep one myself. I couldn't care less. I mean, would you for, go to the expense of like building an enclosure? Oh no, 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 I, I couldn't care less about that. You know, but look, some <laughs> people want to keep them as fashion accessories, and you know, some people in, in the city want to keep pit bulls, you know, as fashion accessories as well. You've yeah. seen them, Jason, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, they want to keep you know nice uh, all these uh, Siamese cats and all that stuff. But you know, I mean, each to their own. I, I can't see uh, foxes as pets as a, as a huge problem, but if there is a scientific reason, I'm probably sure there is. Um, please let us know. I'd love to know what it is. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm on the fence on this one. Email us, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com or jump on that Facebook page. Let us know what you think about the Sydney Fox Rescue and the uh, pest control order that wants to get put forward by Minister Katrina Hodgkinson from Primary Industries. Yes, Jason, I've got a story here, a little bit from left field from uh, news.com.au. This is back September 8th. Uh, but still relevant today for all you lonely hearts hunters out there. Pig Hunter, <laughs> pig hunter Wants a Wife, uh, the Facebook group helping pig shooters find love. Yeah. So there you go, Jason. We've got a face, Facebook group now helping all the pig hunters out there find people with comments. Is there a picture comments. there? Give it a yeah, Let me have a look at it. I just, wanna... just a minute. Let me just read the article. Oh, I'll just Sorry. read a little Sorry. bit from the article. Uh, it might sound like a niche market, but the Sexy Pig Hunter Wants a Wife slash Husband Facebook site is the real deal with more than 8,000 members and a number of successful matches to its name. Nice. So, yeah, so it's not bad, Jason. You might help, you might uh, be able to find some true love here, Jason. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, have a look. Have a look at it. Here you go. Hang on. Let me have a look. Yeah. Oh, it's a bloke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True on. love at first yeah. sight for you, Jason. Uh, here it is. <laughs> Very rude, very, very rude. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. What well, is this like? Is this for male and female? What is this for? Who knows? Yeah, I think so. Take just, your article just, back. <laughs> yeah, just get onto the Facebook site, guys. And if you've always been wanting that um, that partner with a like-minded interest, uh, get onto the Facebook site. And I think it's sexy pig hunters looking for love on Facebook. Yeah, there you go. Nice work. Mario can't seem to get over that just little joke that he just that he just that he just actually played on me just then. So, you know, uh, we, we should I should just give him the come on down, sir. You're fired. You know, what's the next article? Another article there, or okay, yeah. So we've got some uh, news here from the Double SAA National E Newsletter, and it's a great newsletter. So, like I said before, if you haven't signed up for it, sign up for it straight away. And the Double SAA here signs conservation deal with Fame. Uh, for those of you who don't know. 
fame is foundation for Australia's most endangered species. The SSAA would provide foundation for Australia's most endangered species with $60,000 to assist in efforts to reintroduce western quoll to South Australian Flinders Ranges. Great news on conservation there from the SSAA. And uh, more, on, from, more from the SSAA. Uh, WSWA uh, presents facts on can hunting, and as you know, Jason, the minister for the federal minister of Greg environment, Hunt. Greg Hunt, yes, uh, with uh, Jason Wood, I think their um, uh, recent attack on hunters. The WSWA National has responded to a request from Minister for the Environment to provide input to the department regarding potential changes to the regulation concerning certain animal imports with a focus on hunting trophies. And uh, SSAA say that in our submissions, we raised previous concerns about the international impact of any changes, particularly on local African communities and the ongoing success of current conservation programs supported by the Convention on International Trade and Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. SSAA are going into bat here for uh, hunters, hopefully, their language will be uh, a little bit stronger than, uh, pre- uh, I guess, uh, some of their previous uh, uh, encounters with government. And I did uh, contact some of the people in the SSAA regarding this. I, I voiced my concerns. Did you get a response, though? That's the question. Yes, I, I spoke to people uh, directly on the phone. Yep. And uh, basically I said to them that, look, uh, we shouldn't be backpedaling with these people. We should be standing up for ourselves and uh, representing hunters in a strong way and not accepting any of these um, changes that they propose, because usually most changes, usually to the detriment of us hunters. So there you go. Now, more farmers take up free SSAA program, the Farmer Assist program. Now, those of you that watch ABC's Landline would have seen that piece on SSAA's Farmer Assist program. Now, to be honest, Jason, I mean, I'm not here bootlicking the SSAA. A lot of things they do is dorky. I mean, (laughs) this is one of those things. I mean, the program was good overall, and it uh, presented hunters in a very positive light, but it was quite dorky and, uh, to be honest, quite pedestrian. Uh, pedestrian. <laughs> I mean, just like some of the language in the in the magazine, it, it's not, not the best language. It's certainly not strong enough, and uh, certainly does very little to, um, to educate, I guess, um, uh, people about our freedoms, our wonderful country, our rights, and so on. But there you go; it's uh, it's there, and uh, well done to Double SAA on that. And I mean, like I said, Jason, I've got a love hate relationship with the Double SAA. I mean, they're our largest um, shooting uh, organization, uh, but sometimes uh, some of the things they do just boggle me. But anyway, anyway, for that, but that's uh, that's pretty much it all from Double SAA e newsletter. And also, Jason, from the same SSAA uh, e-newsletter, The World in Focus. Okay, so hunters urge EU to recognize environmental role uh, hunters provide. So hunters from Europe, uh, from around Europe have urged the European Union to recognize their environment, environmental role during a conference organized by the European Federation of, of Association of Hunting and Conservation. Jeez. Online news uh, publication Malta Today. Report Malta Today. <laughs> How many Maltese hunters do you know, Jason? Heaps. Okay. <laughs> Quite a few. Yeah. Malta Today reported that representatives of the Maltese Government and Hunting Federation were present for the conference last month, which focused on the positive role of hunting in wildlife conservation habitat restorations. Now, I've got to tell you, Jason, the EU is bad news for hunters in general, okay? Everyone from the European Union, the, um, all, all those countries over there, they've been forced to adopt some draconian laws that previously didn't exist in their own countries <laughs> yep. regarding hunting. Yeah. Um, basically, in a nutshell, guys, the European Union is a bunch of unelected officials that force rules pretty much on the vast majority of European nations, even though these people weren't voted in, uh, and they try and force rules on hunters. So, obviously, uh, the Maltese people here, rightfully so, because the Maltese are, are very very strong uh, supporters of hunting and gun ownership and have been part of this uh, conservation hunting federation. So anyway, um, and, and we go on here with the British Environment Secretary says, and guess this, Jason. Yep. The British Environment Secretary says, scrap fox hunting ban. As you know, fox hunting has been banned in Great Britain 
And is that from horseback, though? Isn't yeah, it from horseback. From, from horseback with yes, dogs, uh, dogs chasing them down, and, and they've stuff really like ruined a, a great tradition in England that they've had for centuries, really. From you all can't these, from all these, down with a dog. Yeah, from all these greenies <laughs> and you know these these animal liberation nut jobs. I'll tell you what, the UK, in my opinion, right now is in big trouble, man. Like, and I, I, follow, I did an interview with Mike Yardley, who is a UK shooter, journalist, yep. and hunter. And now he put a Facebook post up the other day saying, you know, if we, if we don't get off our collective butts yep. or our asses, well, they're going to be in the next couple of decades. He said shooting will be gone and gun ownership will be gone in that country. So they need to really start getting on their feet, start getting mobile yep. and start trying to make a difference because if they don't, they're going to be just, you know, like we're, you know, again, Commonwealth country, we part of the monarch, we probably won't be far after that. Who knows? Well, that that's that's a uh, you know a good point. That's always the danger that we face. And uh, to be perfectly honest, Jason, uh, there is a bright light at the end of the tunnel, which is UKIP, which is the UK for Independence Party, and uh, they're very strong supporters of gun ownership. And in yeah. fact, uh, I remember Nigel Farage once saying that uh, he wants to uh, get rid of this pistol ban that uh, they have in Great Britain. He wants people to have their sport and be able to recreationally um, use pistols. So, you know, I mean, I guess uh, a lot of these gun owners and people who are farmers and who want to maintain their rights and all their traditions have to get off their collective bums and uh, start voting for the right parties. I'd love to see, I mean, obviously people that do shoot pistols in the UK go to other countries to, you know, compete in competition for the Olympics. I'd love, I'm not sure if they have, but I want to see at the next Olympics Commonwealth Games, I want to see UK shooters representing their country Mm. just out of, to show them that if they actually win, so, you know, and they're on the news going, oh, shooter wins, you know, pistol, you know, world record, uh, championship, Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, whatever it may be, and just makes them look bad, you know what I mean? Like, you've banned pistols, but yet, hey, I won Olympic gold medal with, uh, you know, a pistol sport, so... Well, yeah. UK laws fly in the face of all common sense, really. I mean, as you know, Jason, the UK pistol shooters, uh, Olympic pistol shooters, have to go to other European countries to practice. I mean, how embarrassing. I mean, you can't even practice in your own country. It's just quite ridiculous. Now, going back to this and British Environment Secretary says scrap fox hunting ban, uh, Environment Secretary Elizabeth Truss, I don't know if she's any relation, relation to Warren Truss, but anyway, has, uh, <laughs> has reopened the fox hunting row in the United Kingdom by calling for the ban to be scrapped, according to the Daily and Sunday Express. Mrs. Truss said the hunting act had been a mistake and she would vote in favour of allowing fox hunting, but there is no chance to repeal the act before next year's election. But as you can see, Jason, there are voices of dissent uh, in the the British Parliament, and um, rightfully so. People are fed up with this nanny statism. The nanny statism is just out of control, especially in England. Thank God it's not as bad here, but you know it can get bad if we don't get off our collective collective bums and uh, and voice our opinions to our representatives. Exactly. Um, I guess to finish off, a few things we want to talk about. If uh, Muzz hasn't seen it yet because he just come back from his holiday, uh, the Steve Lee living with the enemy, Steve Lee and Felicity, whatever her name is, mate. It's the best laugh. I can't wait for you to watch it. Uh, I've got the link here online, so you should watch it tonight. It's the funniest thing you'll ever see. I mean, Steve did a pretty good job, in my opinion. I think it was funny. Literally after the first couple of minutes, or not even the first couple of minutes, it's pretty much the first go, I was just in total, total hysterics. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, if you want to see something specific, like I said before, go to the website, click on that, uh, leave us a voicemail. Again, if you, or if you want to see something different, you don't want to get on voicemail, Send us an email, AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com or click on the contact icon on the website. Um, we just released last week um, the uh, Blair Hagen, the Executive Vice President of the Canadian National Firearms Association, which I thought was a, a great interview. I really enjoyed that. And some things literally in Canada just blew my mind. And one of them uh, was that a firearm license in Canada temporarily exempts you from prosecution until the government or the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, can actually uh, take charges against you. And this actually blew my mind because when Blair sent me those, uh, I sent him the questions, he actually wrote back and actually put the questions in written form, which he didn't have to do. And when I read that, I really wanted to tackle that on the show. Uh, so it's certainly a great podcast. Again, you can see what they do. They don't have any ranges. They don't all the all the Canadian National Firearm Association do is advocate for shooters, 
court hearings, etc., uh, in conjunction with um, you know Solomon Friedman, one of the big lawyers out there in Canada, who's really making a big charge uh, uh, for natural justice for firearms owners in Canada. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, show. Also, two Muzz coming up. I know Muzz like this one. We remember David Koshy in the Sunrise Program. Um, oh, God. I was supposed to do a podcast today with Bunny Hunter. So you guys remember Bunny Hunter? Yeah. Uh, she's from YouTube, and she, uh, you remember on the show, she was on the Sunrise Program, and Koshy was just getting completely stupid, thinking he knew more about the American Constitution yeah. uh, than the forefathers who wrote the Bill of Rights. What a knob. Uh, but I'm going to interview her. Hopefully, that's going to be next week, so hopefully we'll get that out in the next month or so. Uh, Diana Mellum again from the Sporting Shoot Association, New South Wales. So we're going to ask some questions about the Supplementary Pest Control Program. We're going to yep. ask about uh, the Shooters and Fishers Party donation. A lot of questions came in for Diana, so thank you. Thank you very much for that. We're also going to uh, toe up in the next couple of, about next month or so, uh, an outfitter from uh, New Zealand who actually approached me uh, about doing uh, a show on hunting in New Zealand, what people can expect to do to hunt New Zealand, talking about their gun laws, yep. talking about species they can hunt, you know, the free, good hunting and firearms ownership that can be had in New Zealand. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Probably throughout the middle of um, November, we're going to do another straight shooting podcast, but I'm going to be going down to the rice fields for a couple of weeks to shoot ducks. Well, hopefully I'm going to be shooting ducks down there. Um, well, hopefully there are going to be ducks down there to shoot, but we are going down there. So looking forward to that. Hopefully I can get a net connection somewhere and post a podcast being down there. I don't know. That's really about it. So heaps coming up, lots of shows, lots of hunting. I'm going to have some, uh, I know I've neglected a bit of the fishing just a little bit as well on the show. So, uh, hopefully we're going to have more fishing shows coming up in the future. Yeah, Jace, absolutely. But uh, honestly, I mean, I, I can't believe how busy this month has been, Jace. We've had so much news. I mean, really, it's really difficult to pick some of the stories that we want to tackle. Yeah. Uh, one of the good things, Jace, uh, just recently, Crossman, uh, who make uh, really affordable air rifles, have come out with a really good semi-automatic air rifle. So if you want to get your hands on a semi-automatic rifle, you can buy one. And uh, perfectly legal under Category A. Uh, you can get a uh, Crossman 1077 repeater. And uh, basically, you can get them at, uh, at our good friends at Horsley Park Gun Shop. Uh, they've got them, I think, for about 250 bucks. And if you ever wanted to shoot a semi-automatic rifle, you can. I know it's only an air rifle, but still, <laughs> nevertheless, it's... You a wonder sem- why, how they can how they allow that, considering... I'm not sure how under the law they can do that, but anyway, it's good. Oh, well, Anything's I mean, it's good. not, it's not uh, considered... Um, I guess it, it's not labelled under a category uh, self-loading. C, C and uh, D self-loading. So those evil semi-automatic oh, and pump shotguns that everyone else has got in the country. But yeah, they're great fun, guys. The Crossman semi-automatic 1077 repeater air rifle is very affordable, 250 bucks. If uh, you live out of state, out of New South Wales, go to your local gun shop and ask for one and uh, get your hands on a little bit of semi-automatic fun. Exactly. All right, that's it for another uh, episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. As we said, lots coming up. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining me. As always, I'm Jason Selms. And I'm Mario Vlepko. See you next time. You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHB Digital Radio Network. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.